Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child abuse that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution, especially for those under 13. When we die, do our personalities cease to exist? Or does some version of us, our soul, persist in an afterlife? Monroe County jail inmate Don Decker might have an idea of what awaits us on the other side. While Don was on bereavement leave, his deceased grandfather allegedly contacted him on February 26, 1983. And Don wasn't the only eyewitness to the phantom visit. His hosts, the local police, and guards at the Monroe County Jail all reported seeing spectral apparitions, flying objects, and indoor rain. Most frightening of all, the supernatural entity wasn't benevolent. It scratched Don's arms, threw him across the room, and sent him into a mystical trance. We can't tell what happened to Don's grandfather after his death, but we do know one thing. His spirit was angry. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're taking a special one-episode look at Don Decker. After his allegedly abusive grandfather died, Don claimed the old man's spirit continued to torment him from beyond the grave. The ghost attacked Don's friends, frightened police, and even followed him to jail. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 
February 24, 1983. 20-year-old Don Decker got his first taste of freedom in weeks. He'd been serving time in Pennsylvania's Monroe County Jail for receiving stolen property. But now he was out on bereavement leave to attend his grandfather's funeral in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. However, Don was anything but bereaved. He hated his grandfather, James Kishbaugh. According to Don, James had physically abused him throughout his childhood. Now that Kishbaugh was dead, Don assumed he was rid of him forever. But the specter of old beatings and cruelty continued to haunt him, even in homes his grandfather had never been in. Don was supposed to stay with his parents during his leave, but he grew furious when they spoke warmly about his grandfather. After an angry spat, his mother kicked him out of the house. With nowhere else to turn, Don went to stay with his friends, Bob and Jeannie Kiefer. The couple was sympathetic to Don's plight and warmly welcomed him into their home. On February 26th, after the funeral had passed, Bob and Jeannie even planned to cheer their friend up by having dinner together. That night, before they sat down to eat, Don excused himself to the restroom. While he washed his hands, Don shivered. The bathroom felt unusually cold. He reached for a towel, but when he did, it was as if all the air had rushed out of the room. Don gasped for breath. Then he glanced at the window to find a pair of eyes staring back at him. They belonged to the specter of an old man wearing a crown. He could see how Don was struggling, and he liked it. The apparition was laughing at him. It was all Don could do to get out of the bathroom and away from the spirit. As he scrambled down the hallway, he looked down and saw something that chilled him to his core. There were deep, bloody gouges in his arms. He hadn't seen them appear or felt the phantom scratch him. And yet, there they were. Physical proof that the old man in the window wasn't a figment of his imagination. He still felt uneasy when he rejoined Bob and Jeannie downstairs, but didn't say anything about what he'd seen. It was just too strange to explain. But the couple could tell something was off. When Don reached for more food, Bob spotted the bloody scratches. He asked Don how he'd injured himself, and Don answered, I didn't do it. Don went on to explain what he'd seen in the bathroom. Everyone felt unnerved by his story and his wounds. But Bob and Jeannie didn't want to push their friend, so they didn't press for more information. Everyone gathered in the living room after dinner, still feeling uneasy. While they watched TV, they all noticed the air had grown chilly, like there was a problem with the heater. Suddenly, Jeannie spotted something glistening on the wall. It was a stream of flowing water. At least, it looked like water. When Bob touched it, it felt gooey, more like plasma. It oozed from the ceiling, cutting rivulets down the walls. The obvious explanation was that a pipe had sprung a leak. But there were no water fixtures nearby. The living room was underneath a second-story bedroom, which didn't have a sink in it. 
Wherever the liquid was coming from, it certainly wasn't the plumbing. Unsure what to do, Bob and Jeannie called their landlord, Ron Van Wy. They hoped that maybe he could solve the problem. Ron and his wife, Romaine, arrived a short while later. They were shocked at what they found. The liquid had drenched the living room while every other room remained perfectly dry. Ron tried to figure out what was causing the water damage. He knew a blizzard had blanketed the house in snow two weeks earlier, but it couldn't be runoff from that. If the roof had leaked, the snowmelt would have likely seeped in from one concentrated spot. To find a solution, Ron suggested that he and Bob double-check the second-floor bathroom. But Bob was reluctant. That was where the malevolent spirit first appeared to Don. He feared what might still be lurking up there. But they had to do something. So Bob steeled himself and trudged up the stairs. A wave of dread hit each man the moment they reached the second story. The air was frigid and they could feel a malevolent presence. They quickly determined that there were no leaks in the bathroom and then ran back downstairs as fast as they could. Back in the living room, it looked like nothing had changed. The water was still falling down the walls like indoor rain. But then, Bob glanced at Dawn and he began to panic. Don sat on the couch, staring blankly into space. He didn't seem to notice anything that was going on around him. It was like his body was there, but his mind had traveled somewhere else. The Van Wise and the Kiefers didn't know what else to do, so they called 911. A short while later, Officer John Bojan and Patrolman Richard Wolbert pulled up to the Kiefer's house. They noted that the night was clear, no sign of rain or snow. But the moment they stepped indoors, droplets of water fell on their uniforms. And that was the least of the chaos. Don sat in the middle of the room, unable to see or hear anything. Jeannie read aloud from her Bible, while Romaine Van Wy prayed at her side. The police officers gaped at Don's strange state, then turned their attention to the indoor rain. It wasn't falling to the ground, it was levitating to the ceiling. Unsure what to do, John and Richard called police chief Gary Roberts to ask for advice. The chief agreed to stop by later that night. John and Richard promised they'd return when Chief Gary was available, then left the scene. But the strange phenomena that spooked the officers was only the beginning. We should pause here to point out that the story is about to get a little muddy. There were lots of eyewitnesses at this point, and there's some variation in their accounts. Most of the observers agreed on what they'd seen, but not on the order in which things happened. For example, some accounts say that Don was already in a trance when John and Richard arrived on the scene. But in a 1991 episode of Unsolved Mysteries, it appeared that Don was behaving relatively normal when the police showed up. Then he slipped into his stupor later. And there's another inaccuracy about what happened when Chief Gary Roberts got to the scene. According to John and Richard, 
He got just as wet as they did from the indoor rain. But Chief Gary denied those claims. He says he didn't see anything out of the ordinary. He instructed John and Richard not to file a report and to move on. And that's what they did. Meaning, there's no official police record of the haunting. Maybe because there was nothing to document. Or maybe because the chief intentionally covered up the truth. Either way, the police eventually left without doing anything to help Don. But spooky things reportedly continued to happen throughout the night. The rain kept falling, even though the skies outside were clear. When Don tried to touch a crucifix, it burned his hand. And there was one other strange event that eyewitnesses saw. At some point, Jeannie Kiefer and Romaine Van Wy confronted Don. They yelled that everything had begun with his arrival, and they wanted him to make it stop. The problem was Don couldn't control it. Even through the haze of his trance, he suspected he knew what was targeting him, his abusive grandfather's ghost. But he didn't know how to get rid of the spirit. The women's tirade was interrupted by a rattling from the kitchen. It sounded like every pot and pan was trying to burst out of the cabinets. And then Don's body suddenly lifted off the ground and went flying across the room. To be clear, he didn't jump. He didn't fall. It was like something had thrown him. But there was nobody near him, at least nobody anyone could see. The impact shocked Don out of his trance and left new bleeding claw marks on his body. It appeared that his grandfather's spirit was getting more aggressive. Nothing Don did could keep the phantom at bay. He tried prayer, Bible readings. Neither seemed to dissuade the specter. Well, not until Don's departure. When his bereavement leave ended the next day, Don returned to Monroe County Jail. Just like that, the indoor rain stopped in the Kiefer house, as did the cold zones and the ominous sensations. Bob and Jeannie's nightmare was over. But the ghost wasn't done with Don yet. It followed him to his jail cell, where Don had no hope of escaping. Up next, paranormal activity begins at the Monroe County Jail. Listeners, here's a show sure to tug at your heartstrings. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, and some don't. In Our Love Story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On February 24, 1983, Don Decker had left the Monroe County Jail in Pennsylvania on bereavement leave. He thought he'd get a few days of freedom as he attended his grandfather's funeral. Instead, he stepped right into his own personal hell. For at least one night, the spirit of his recently deceased grandfather tormented him. It sent him into trances, attacked his body, and made rain fall and levitate indoors. Don hoped that leaving Bob and Jeannie Kiefer's home would free him from the ghost's influence. But according to him, it followed him back to jail. Once again, the haunting began with indoor rain. Don and his cellmate both saw water trickle down from the ceiling and into their living quarters. Afterwards, the other prisoner was so troubled he requested a transfer. But Don wasn't terrified of the paranormal occurrences anymore. In fact, he believed that he'd learned to control them. Now, Don didn't think he had supernatural powers. He still believed the levitations, indoor rain, and trances were the work of his deceased grandfather. But Don didn't see himself as a helpless victim anymore. He felt he could channel the spiritual energy, even direct it. His guards issued a dare. Could he douse a prison official in water? Don thought he was up to the challenge, so he played a supernatural prank on the prison's warden, Dave Keenhold. According to some unidentified witnesses, one day Dave was working at his desk. Suddenly, a floating glob of water flew around the corner. It struck him in the chest, soaking him. Dave verified this account, in part. He never saw the liquid levitate through the air, nor did he notice when it hit him. Instead, someone pointed out a wet spot on his shirt later that day. Only then did Dave remember the rumors about Don. He thought that perhaps the supposedly haunted inmate was to blame. Dave didn't want to jump to conclusions. He called a plumber to investigate Don's cell and try to find some rational explanation for the indoor rain and flying droplets. We don't know what the workman saw, just that he arrived, took a look around, and immediately walked out on the job. He told Dave, don't call me for this kind of stuff. Dave thought the plumber seemed terrified. By now, Dave felt convinced that Don had some kind of demonic power. As a devout Christian, Dave thought he needed to arrange an exorcism. So he contacted the jailhouse chaplain, Reverend William Blackburn. When William met Don, he didn't know what to expect. Perhaps he thought Don might shout profanities or insult him. But the reverend found the inmate to be quiet and meek, respectful even, until... Midway through their conversation, Don suddenly transformed. 
The respectful young man's expression changed. He grinned a menacing smile. A glint of hostility flashed across his eyes. William smelled something horrible, the scent of sickness and death. To him, it appeared that whatever spirit haunted Don now possessed the prisoner's body. Don rubbed his fingers together, and at that moment, rain began to fall inside the room, not just seeping down the walls like at the Kiefer's house. It drenched the entire chamber, except for one spot. The Bible in William's hands stayed immaculately dry. Encouraged by the apparent miracle, William read aloud from the holy text. He prayed for Don, and after a short time... The rain stopped. Don snapped out of his trance. And just like that, the exorcism had worked. The ghastly nightmare appeared to be over. But the story didn't end there. By this point, Don's tale had made it to the news. Local papers carried first-hand accounts, rumors, and wild theories that tried to explain the supposed haunting. Kevin McKaney of the Pocono Record described the fervor later, writing, The facts are as elusive as ghostly apparitions. One can hear just about anything one wants to be told. The story was a perfect topic for a spiritual debate. There were too many eyewitnesses to discount it entirely, but there was no hard evidence to definitively prove the haunting happened. Take Bob and Jeannie Kiefer's home. It was demolished sometime after Don left, and with it, any physical clues that might have confirmed the story disappeared. Which means we're left with no photos, no documents, no police reports, and no way to verify Don Decker's possession and haunting. And when someone tells you something incredible and can't back it up, there's often a rational explanation. That person is lying. Today, many people believe the tales of Don's abilities were nothing but a hoax. It wouldn't be hard to fake some of the things Don's so-called ghost did. Let's look back at the incident where Don flew across the kitchen as if an invisible being had tossed him. The eyewitnesses all insisted Don was definitely thrown. But that doesn't mean he didn't jump. In their article about Don in Skeptic magazine, critics Robert E. Bartholomew and Joe Nickel pointed out that levitation is easy to fake. They claimed somebody could toss an object while no one is looking, and the onlookers will just see the item seemingly fling itself across the room. The incident when Don soared through the kitchen reportedly happened during a huge fight. Jeannie Kiefer and Romaine Van Wy were both yelling at Don, demanding he make the rain stop. In such an emotionally charged moment, they probably weren't watching his legs. So he could have leapt backward and later pretended some unseen specter had pushed him. It would also have been easy for Don to scratch himself while no one was paying attention or to feign his trances. But as for the indoor rain, that's not so easy to explain. In fact, nobody has ever offered an airtight explanation for how Don could have created it. Unless, of course, everyone lied about it. 
After all, there's no official record that it really happened. No police reports and no photographs. In their article, Bartholomew and Nickel observed how unlikely it was that nobody took a single picture during the Don Decker haunting. While camera phones didn't exist yet, Polaroid instant cameras did. They were inexpensive and lots of people carried them. Guard Dave Keenhold tried to explain the lack of photographic evidence, citing that cameras were slow. He claimed that Don's demonstrations were quick, often occurring in the blink of an eye. Even if Dave or another witness had taken a picture, Don's miracles wouldn't have shown up on film. Except Don said he learned to control his powers during his incarceration. There wasn't anything to stop him from timing a spectacle for a moment when someone had a camera handy. In addition, it feels strange that the prison video never recorded the levitating rain or Don's exorcism. Closed-circuit security videos have been around since the 1970s. It's not clear if Don's cell had one, but it is likely that a prison in 1983 would have some sort of monitoring. But there's no footage, no photos, no single frame that suggests Don had any contact with evil spirits. And then there's the lack of police reports from the Kiefer's on February 26th. Like we mentioned earlier, officers John Bojan and Richard Wolbert claimed that Chief Gary Roberts told them not to file any paperwork, but they never explained why. Well, let's talk about the so-called facts of the case. As we mentioned before, there are discrepancies between different accounts. Nobody can agree whether Don slipped into a trance before or after the police arrived for the first time, or whether it was actually raining inside when Chief Gary Roberts reported to the scene. Those inconsistencies point to the idea that everyone is lying, they can't all keep their stories straight. Well, maybe. But contrary to popular belief, disparities like this sometimes suggest the participants actually believe they are all telling the truth. The idea is, if you tell a lie, you'll usually come up with a story and stick to it. But when you're trying to be honest, little details will change in the telling. You'll misremember the specifics then go back and modify your story as it comes back to you. In an article with Frontiers in Psychology, a research team noted that depending on the interviewer's technique, liars' stories are often more consistent than true accounts. Even more interestingly, studies have suggested that fibbers are more likely to give evasive answers or decline to provide information. Meanwhile, truthful witnesses will share what they know even if it contradicts something they said earlier. And Don and the others have all been talkative about what they saw. In 1991, Don's account became a national story when the hit TV show Unsolved Mysteries covered his experiences. This raises another problem with the hoax theory. If Don was lying, he had to have a reason, perhaps money, attention, or fame. But he didn't try to profit off his story for nearly a decade. He apparently lied low for eight years until the Unsolved Mysteries producers contacted him. 
Don's episode featured first-hand interviews from more than half a dozen eyewitnesses, and a later episode of Sci-Fi's Paranormal Witness included even more testimonials. That's a lot of people to corroborate one man's scam. Sure, it's possible that some lied for attention or money, or that some people misremembered or exaggerated the facts, but all of them? While Don's story seems extraordinary, there's not much hard evidence that Don was a fraud. This means his account might be true, and that evil ghosts and spirits could be real. Up next, we'll examine the evidence that poltergeists exist. Now, back to the story. In early 1983, Don Decker seemingly gained the ability to telekinetically control water. Witnesses saw him levitate or make it rain inside, but no one ever produced a shred of evidence to bolster the claims. These unverified accounts led many to believe Don's story was a hoax. The problem was, he had no motive to lie. And if he wasn't dishonest, he had to be telling the truth, right? Perhaps Don really believed that his grandfather's spirit was haunting him. Nobody knows for sure where the rain or the claw marks on Don's body came from. Maybe Don's only way to explain these mysteries was a poltergeist. If Don really was tormented by a ghost, his claims are almost impossible to prove. Even though every human culture has mythology about phantoms, no one has ever produced definitive evidence that undead spirits exist. Maybe that's because most so-called hauntings don't feature ghosts at all. According to sociologists Dennis and Michelle Waskell, most people who report paranormal activity might see items move on their own, feel strange sensations in the air, or experience nightmares. But they rarely spot an actual spirit. In those types of bizarre incidents, it's easy to mistake ordinary phenomena for something supernatural. In 1813, physiologist John Ferrier argued that ghosts were in the eye of the beholder, literally. He said that common vision issues were often to blame. According to Ferrier, slight aberrations in someone's sight were typical, like spots after you look into a bright light. In addition, when people aged, they were more likely to see floaters or tiny gray or black dots in their field of vision. Most of the time, people barely paid attention to these blips. But if they expected to see a sign of the supernatural, say they were at a seance or they thought their house was haunted, they might believe that any slight movement at the corner of their eye was a departed loved one. In other words, most ghost sightings might actually be ordinary biological processes. It's impossible to prove something doesn't exist. We can never say for certain that ghosts are imaginary, but we can say that there's no concrete evidence proving they're real. So maybe Don mistook natural events for the actions of a malevolent spirit. But if Don wasn't lying and he didn't really encounter a ghost, how can we explain what happened? Perhaps the answer lies in psychology. First, we have to consider Don's emotional state during the supposed spirit attacks. 
His hated grandfather had just died, and that must have brought up a lot of complicated emotions. Grief is hard enough to endure without the deceased being a former abuser. For all we know, Don might have slipped into what appeared to be a trance as a coping mechanism for his emotional pain. Heightened stress could also explain Don's vision of an old man wearing a gold crown. He may even have scratched himself or leapt across the room during an emotional outburst and later tried to explain it away as a ghostly attack. That doesn't even mean he consciously lied. If Don was emotionally overwhelmed, he could have acted without thinking. When he tried to determine why he behaved so out of character, he concluded it must have been possession. As for Bob and Jeannie Kiefer, who witnessed all of these phenomena, they didn't notice anything strange until after Don told them about the spectral old man. Perhaps his story scared them and made them more likely to overreact to natural phenomena. Like how you're more prone to notice every weird sound and shadow in your bedroom after watching a scary movie. In later interviews, they spoke about how the living room and second story of their house felt supernaturally cold. But it was late February, the middle of a Pennsylvania winter. Of course, their home would be chilly. Bob Kiefer and Rob Van Wy also said they sensed a malicious energy upstairs. But again, this was likely because they'd already decided a ghost was present. So they imagined their unease came from an external malevolent spirit rather than their own minds. On top of that, most of the eyewitnesses were deeply religious. That's clear from the fact that Jeannie's first reaction was to read from the Bible rather than call a doctor. Or that Don's guard, Dave Keenhold, ordered an exorcism. If everyone already believed in ghosts and spirits, Don's ghostly claims would have been easier to accept. In other words, Don might have suffered from a nervous breakdown in which he imagined his grandfather's ghost tormented him. Since Bob and Jeannie Kiefer and Dave Keenhold were open to the idea of the afterlife, they accepted his version of events at face value. But what about the police who responded to their 911 call? The other inmates in the prison? They can't all be part of the same shared hallucination. No, but most of their accounts are less dramatic than Don's story of levitation and phantom scratches. The majority of eyewitnesses only reported the indoor rain. And that, too, has a rational explanation. In their Skeptic magazine article, Bartholomew and Nickel ascribed the moisture to a phenomenon called ice damming. This can happen when temperatures rise above freezing during the day, then drop below freezing at night. During the evenings, ice freezes on rooftops, but indoor heaters melt the bottom layer of it. It has nowhere to drip, as it's still encased in the frozen outer sheet. It has to flow somewhere. So it seeps into the home, where it runs in rivulets down the walls like an indoor rain shower. Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania had the perfect conditions for ice damming in February 1983. Two weeks before dawn arrived, record-breaking snowfall blanketed the state. 
and on the day of his purported haunting, temperatures wavered between the 50s and below freezing. Okay, so maybe Bob and Jeannie had their first instance of ice damming in the winter of 1983. That just happened to coincide with Don's visit. By sheer chance, they were all highly emotional and primed to interpret the leaking water as a supernatural event. And then Don's jail cell incidentally had another ice-damming incident, as did the room where Reverend William Blackburn performed the exorcism. That seems like a lot of coincidences. True. But by the time the paranormal events happened in jail, Don's alleged powers were already public knowledge. And this might be a case where the witnesses saw what they wanted to see. Reverend William Blackburn had heard so much about Don's ghostly encounters, he was ready to believe that his experiences were supernatural. Interestingly, one observer remained skeptical throughout the entire alleged haunting, Stroudsburg Chief of Police Gary Roberts. As Bartholomew and Nickel noted in their skeptic article, Gary was an outsider. He'd only moved to town three years earlier. Perhaps he didn't get so caught up in the group's claims because his social ties to the others weren't as strong. Sure, but the staff and inmates at Monroe County Jail weren't necessarily friendly with Don, and they went along with his claims. Take Warden Dave Keenhold's account of a wet spot spontaneously appearing on his shirt. The damp 4x2-inch circle was in the center of his chest. This is also an area where many people perspire. So he might have just sweat through his shirt on a hot day and then attributed it to Don later. Or he could have spilled on himself. He did notice the wet spot right after he ate dinner. In other words, the mysterious water stain probably wasn't supernatural. It may have been a case of Dave interpreting ordinary events as something otherworldly. In fact, we can attribute most of Don's account to apophenia. That's the word for human beings' tendency to spot meaningful patterns where none actually exist. For example, imagine your favorite basketball team wins a game the same day you wear a particular sweatshirt. You might decide your shirt is lucky and help them succeed even though your clothing choices have nothing to do with their victory. Likewise, Don didn't have to do anything supernatural for his friends and acquaintances to conclude he had mystical powers. It's possible that ice damming made it rain in the Kiefer's living room on February 26, 1983. Under normal circumstances, they would have just called a plumber. But instead, Bob, Jeannie, and Don were stressed, emotionally exhausted, and grappling with grief. So, in light of Don's claims that he'd seen a vision of his grandfather, they all agreed the moisture was paranormal. Then they told the others what they'd seen. Police officers saw the water firsthand and accepted Don's ghostly account at face value. From there, the story snowballed, involving inmates, guards, and local clergy. Notably, some of these people didn't share testimony about Don's more miraculous abilities for eight years, when producers from Unsolved Mysteries interviewed them. 
Perhaps some of those stories became more dramatic in the retelling. Not only was it raining inside, the rain was falling up. Water didn't just seep into Don's jail cell. It terrified the unnamed plumber who came to fix it. Warden Dave Keenhole didn't only get water on his shirt. The droplet flew through the air and multiple anonymous witnesses saw it. In other words, nobody consciously lied. There was no intentional hoax. But Don's so-called possession probably didn't happen. Instead, it was the culmination of several ordinary occurrences, melted ice, an unhealthy stress response, and the human tendency to find meaning in random events. Even though many elements of the haunting can be explained, Don Decker's story is still popular in online forums and on spooky nonfiction TV shows. His account resonates with people because it offers a comforting narrative. If you take it at face value, then you have evidence of an afterlife, proof that the spirits of the dead can reconnect with living family members, verification that prayer works. True, the story itself is dark, featuring childhood abuse, repressed trauma, and a villainous poltergeist set on terrorizing its victim. But if you want cold, hard evidence to support a belief in the spirit world, it's better than nothing. If you reject Don's story, you can take comfort in the notion that ghosts don't exist. But you may face something even more terrifying that the horrifying events attributed to hauntings are actually the subconscious workings of your own mind. Thanks for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Angela Jorgensen, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.